My greed is serial, my grip is on material things Weigh down my fear like I believe it, death still stings I've still got it, everything that I promised I'd leave Cause I don't believe that kingdom come is better than royalties Beauty for ash, patience for cash, peace and giving up the riches that we know won't last So take this silver and take this gold and save a spot for me in heaven where the treasure don't mold Reckless, undone, every idol be reduced to dust Broken, I come when you bid me lose the things I've won. eternity but comfort to the God that I serve is there a way of building heaven out of riches I've earned can I be the camel you promised to pull through the needle's eye with this grip on things that never satisfy grace over greed fate till I'm freed no more living in the shadows of past versions of me so change this heart God and change this soul let the perfection of your power make my brokenness whole reckless undone every idol be reduced to dust broken I come when you bid me lose the things I've won, reckless, undone, every idol be reduced to dust, broken, I come when you bid me lose the things I've won. Jesus, see me through this needle's eye. Caught up in all of the good I've tried to do for you. Jesus, see me through this needle's eye. All I've earned and I set aside to be with you. Jesus, see me through this little time. Caught up in all of the good I've tried to do for you. Jesus, see me through this Check one, two. Y'all ready for that concert? Amen. And uh, if anybody is um, free Friday night, there's an activity going on to support that related to Motown. We're going to have a little Motown prom. So, uh, you know, uh, check out the website or or look at the uh, Eastern Fellowship um, uh, uh, email, you see, and have a good little time. Um. Yeah, let's pray and get ourselves prepared for the Word of God. Uh, Lord, we just open our hearts, our minds, our souls, uh, our ears to hear what you have to say in your Word. We thank you, Lord, for um, your Word being a light to our feet, a lamp to our path to help us to see where we need to go. So Lord, I pray, the Spirit, that you would lead and guide us. Uh, break bread together. We pray. 
Amen. If you would, rise in body and spirit. Uh, we're going to read the word today. Uh, I've been assigned a text, Proverbs 29, 13. And let's just read this together. It's a short text. The poor and the oppressed have in common with the Lord's sight to the eyes of both. One more time. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord. So I'll be speaking on the text of opening our eyes. Maybe. Um, so I um, live in Richmond, um, but I have been born and raised in Richmond. And one of the uh, benefits of being born and raised in Richmond is the fact that um, there's a lot of people that know about you and know about your family and will uh, um, kind of tell you interesting stories that you just wouldn't know. Um, one of the things is um, there's a guy named Reverend T. Turner who does a lot of work in reconciliation here. If you look at the uh, like the Truth and Re- Reconciliation statue or uh, the Slave Trail Walk, he's been a real key instrumental uh, man that's been a part of this work. And so because I do work in reconciliation, uh, we our paths end up crossing where we did this, this national thing called the Repentance Project. And uh, we worked together and did a trip down to New Orleans and went down to the um, uh, uh, Whitney Plantation and learned about uh, uh, the only uh, plantation that actually tells the story of uh, the enslaved people, uh, the story of the plantation through the, the eyes and the lens of the enslaved people. So we took that trip together and uh, got a chance to get a chance to know each other. And uh, what's interesting about uh, Reverend T. Turner is that he and my dad literally grew up together. They... Uh, Grew up, poor black kids, uh, uh, in and out of those house, uh, um, grew up, and they lost a little bit of contact when my dad went to the military, came back, and, uh, you know, he went to college, eventually uh, started a business. And so when my dad started a business, and um, he and T ran into each other, he said, hey, come on by my office. And he came, uh, T came by uh, my dad's office, and he saw um, that in the morning, one of my dad's routines was he would read the book of Proverbs every morning to try to get wisdom about how to That was very insightful for me because when I was eight years old, my dad uh, got me a second grade level reading Bible, and he was like, hey, I want you to read one proverb every day. There's one proverb for uh, each each day of the month. It's 30, 31 proverbs, and so you could read one proverb every day. And so I'm 38 now, so literally for the last 30 years, at least once a month, I've read Proverbs. I want to pass that on to you because when's the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday. If you didn't do it, then when's the next time the best plan? Do it today. And that's at least one thing that you could do to become wise. And here's the thing about when you're young, it's okay to be stupid. Like there's an expectation when you're young to be stupid. And that's the reason why Proverbs was written, because it was written for young people, because they knew that young people were going to be ignorant. And so they were like, hey, this is, it's it's not okay to be old and stupid, you know, so you can work on this. There's a way. And so um, here's the deal. Um, I just want to say, like, whatever whatever you do, whatever your scripture um, uh, 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 habits are, you can at least read one Proverbs. Um, a lot of times when we get up here and preach, people oftentimes think, oh, man, you're like this like really special guru, whatever the case may be. And that's not the case at all. Um, I didn't go to seminary. Doug didn't go to seminary. Uh, we just have people just that read the scriptures and read books and stuff like that. And so I also wanted to kind of pass this, that um, here's a little secret of, of, of kind of how these thoughts have been formed. And these are things that you can to adopt in your own uh, One is, oh, is this not on? Uh, okay, here you go. One thing is, I actually, um, I actually spend most of my time listening. Um, the, during the time the Bible was written, very few people had access to actually, like, the Bible. And so it's really a more of an oral tradition, like a way of kind of listening. And so literally for iTunes, like maybe for like 
uh, $2.99. You can get the uh, Proverbs. You can listen. You can listen to the book of Matthew or the New Testament or whatever. So sometimes I, I deal with insomnia. If it's because I'm dealing with anxiety, I might put on the book of Psalms. If it's because I don't know what to do, I'm going to put on Proverbs. Just because I just can't sleep, I'll start at Matthew, and hopefully, um, you know, I fall asleep. Sometimes I wake up, big piece of advice, just don't wake up at Revelation. It can get a little weird pretty quickly. But um, I just want to pass that on to y'all. This is something that's very accessible. Um, Another thing that's been really key, the narrated Bible, is this Bible in chronological order, and even the way that they organize Proverbs is really uh, uh, fascinating, and, and you can kind of digest Proverbs in really significant ways. And then uh, this is like a theological book, particularly about uh, a biblical theology, specifically about possession. And so even like I, I, I try to familiarize myself with the scriptures, but when, you, when I'm getting assigned to preach on a particular text, this is kind of what would happen. So I just want to take a little bit of the mystery away. Uh, this isn't like a really mysterious, deep thing. Um, some of us have gifts to be able to put ideas together and to be able to proclaim. But everybody who's a Christian needs to know how to digest the word of God. I heard Eugene Peterson say it this way. The only way that you can uh, uh, um, not have a relationship with the Bible where it's just only gossip about God is if you digest So most of us have a kind of a gossip relationship with God because we just only going off of what we heard about God and not what we've digested with the word of God through the scriptures. And so I just want to encourage you in that way. So my assignment is to talk about uh, uh, justice through the lens of Proverbs. It's kind of important to understand a little bit about Proverbs. Um, Proverbs, the the literary form of Proverbs is um, not anything new. Uh, uh, It's not unique to the Bible. It's not unique to the Israel Jews. This is like a genre of uh, expression that uh, is is familiar with the Near East, uh, ancient. So it's kind of like if you want to learn something about uh, um, some insight or something, you might listen to rap music to learn about what's going on in urban communities. Or if you want to learn something about, something different, you might learn to like uh, um, podcast or something like that. Well, that's what a proverb is. Now, what makes proverbs particularly unique about the proverbs of scripture, uh, um, proverbs of anything, uh, and the far near east of or Mesopotamia or some place like that? What makes this really unique is the story of Israel. See, Israel. Uh, um, this is just taking like the, the proverbs is. Just, just a random bit of wisdom, but it's in the context of the story of Israel. And as we think about what does God have to say about like justice or or possession, it's important for us to understand what does the scriptures up to this point, up until we get to the point of Proverbs, what is it saying about our possession? Well, first thing we say when you open up the scriptures, uh, how does the Bible start? In the beginning, what? In between God, what? Made the heavens and the earth, right? And so what we see Genesis 1 and 2 is that God made a lot of possession, uh, uh, material uh, possession thing for the enjoyment of See, this is the thing. Sometimes we feel like uh, uh, just because, like, some people might have a lot and some people might have a little bit, uh, um, that, that there must be something wrong if somebody has a lot. There's nothing wrong with having a lot. God uh, uh, it's a very generous God, and, and, and it, it was a lot, whole, God created this whole earth for, like, two people. Two people that were about to, like, be fruitful, multiply, and there's just so much vastness and so much materials and so much goodness and beauty and valuable things, and there's not even enough people to consume it all. This is the kind of lavish God that we have, and I think it's important when every time we, we, we have a a story and, and talk about justice, it's important for us to understand that there's plenty. That God created a world where there's plenty. So, you know, in Genesis 3, there is a fall. And then the story of redemption began to happen. The next piece that's really key about possessions is you got this guy named Abraham. And Abraham, uh, um, God says, hey, I'm going to bless you with a lot of things, with a lot of possessions. I'm going to 
give you a lot of wealth, and I'm going to make a great nation out of your seeds. And, and, and this is the thing. I am going to bless you so you can what? Be a blessing. So what the story of Israel tells us is that if God blesses you with a lot, you're supposed to what? Do it and use it for what? To be a what? Blessing to other people. See, that's how the people of God are supposed to God didn't fulfill the promise of, to Abraham of becoming a great nation until they were under oppression. There was this, 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 this great empire called Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, uh, um, there was a, a guy named Pharaoh that uh, um, began to change his immigration policy and but got very um, oppressive to the immigrants in that community. And if, you got to understand the book of Exodus is about exploitative immigration policies and God delivering from that. I'm just saying you just got to read the book. <laughs> but it's really important to understand the story because if you realize that God's people were formed in oppression, then you would deal with God's, you would deal with oppressed people in a very different way. And so because we've extracted this and we just spiritualized the book of Exodus and, and have not really dealt with this in the context of material possessions, you can have some Christians say some really crazy and do some really, really crazy stuff. And we just aren't reading the book in a significant way that the Bible has, has set it out to be. And so God delivered them. And when God delivered them, the Egyptians gave them material possessions, a lot of valuable stuff. And why did God give them valuable stuff? The reason why God gave them valuable stuff is so that they could use this part of those valuable to work. The tabernacle, these were some formerly enslaved people were pushed out of Egypt with a lot of valuable gold and kaisha wood and all kinds of stuff. And God had them out in the wilderness because uh, he wanted them to build a tabernacle. The lesson that we can learn is that the reason why God gives us a lot of material blessing, whatever it is that we have, is not only so we can be a blessing to other people, but but what happened when Moses, uh, they were out in the wilderness, and, and uh, uh, Moses was up in the mountain, and they got a little restless. Sometimes God doesn't respond to things as fast as we want them to respond to things, God. And uh, uh, what happened? Aaron, the high priest, the guy, he... He, he, he kind of helped organize them, and they end up making, taking the, the blessing of God and made an idol. So our material possessions can be used both to worship God or it can be the thing that can distract us, that can help us uh, get into idolatry. So it's really important for us to understand the story of Israel because the story of Israel is the story of us. And they eventually left out the wilderness and got into the promised land where God um, had them, and they were a little, like, less dependent. And so there was this period of time called the judges where sometimes they would depend on God, and other times they wouldn't depend on God, and God would raise up somebody to help them depend on God a little bit more. And eventually they said, like, hey, I'm, just re I'm tired of the back and forth because we're vulnerable when we have to totally depend on God. I want to get, a, I wanna get like, a, 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 a false security, so give us a king like everybody else. They wanted to keep up with the Joneses like everybody else. And so they said, hey, let's get a king. And God said, hey, if you get a king, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're, the king is going to be just as exploitative as kings that are around you. I don't want that for you. But, you know, the way that God works with us, he just says, my will be done or thine will be done. And so he's like, hey, if you want a king, I'm telling you what's going to happen, but I'm gonna, I'll give you a king. And so he ended up having a king. A guy named Saul, and eventually there was a guy named David that helped unite all of the kingdom, Solomon, uh, his son. And this is in the context of the wisdom literature of Proverbs is written. They're moving from an agricultural context to an urban city context and a great nation, and they create this like this. And when you have a lot of stability, when you aren't at war, uh, when you've kind of able to kind of fortify a city, uh, you aren't on survival mode anymore. And up until this point, they weren't in survival. They, they were up in survival mode. But up until this point, now with um, David being the king of Solomon, David had a whole bunch of songs that he wrote. So they just made this whole, like, worship song book called the Psalms. And 
and uh, um, Solomon was a wise guy, and he wrote things like Ecclesiastes, the Songs of Solomon, and, and Proverbs, and they collected different Proverbs. So this is what's unique about the Proverbs in this scripture, because this is in light of God's story of dealing with God's people. And some of these Proverbs are organized in this way. Um, there's a Proverbs about gaining, about gaining wealth. As we look into uh, uh, justice, like, what does the scriptures tell us about how do you gain wealth? Like, there's nothing in the Bible that says having a lot is inherently wrong. But the Bible says a lot about how do you get wealth. So it says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. You know, people that always be like, yeah, man, I'm going to be an NBA star. And you're like, dude, you like 35, bro. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, um, here's another one. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Do you know people that just spend more time talking about what they're going to do than actually doing what they're going to do? That's what Proverbs says. There's a, a lot that's connected to this. This is my favorite proverb right here. Do you see those who are skillful in their work? They will serve kings. They will not serve See, See, what happens is when you get really skilled at a thing, then it will take you to places that you can't get there yourself. See, this is something, I mean, that my parents really, really put inside of me. It was like, hey, I don't care what you do. Just be really good at whatever it is. And that's something that even with the interns and with the Airbond ministry, like I'm really, really avid about that. Hey, whatever we do, do it well and do it with excellence so that, you know, we we can position ourselves to allow God to do whatever God. I grew up in a context, man, in a church where, you know, it was kind of Pentecostal church and they didn't really pay me. And I wanted to be a professional musician. And uh, all of my people that were, like, took the craft of being a musician very seriously, they lived like the devil. But then all of the people that, like, loved Jesus sucked as a musician. And I was really struggling. It was really, really bad. And they would be like, oh, we're going to take stuff back from the devil. And I'm like, you can't do it if your music stinks, you know. So whatever it is that you're called to do, this is, this is one of the things. If, if you're struggling financially, Maybe you want to look at, like, how excellent do you do, do your work? This is some wisdom that you Now, Proverbs also talks about character, uh, uh, proverb, poverty. And there's one side, that, there's two ways to talk about poverty. Um, here's one. The lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So Aaron preached a little bit a few weeks ago about uh, diligence. Here's another one. Those uh, too lazy to plow in the right will have no food. There's some of us that like, it's a Nate one. It's like the thing, the soda. And, and then uh, um, like a, a lot of life is, it's about things growing over a period of time. And if we don't sow the seed yesterday, then we won't have the fruits today. If we don't sow the seed today, we won't have the fruits till tomorrow. Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never. Man, there's some of us that just love a good time, enjoy ourselves, and don't like to kind of get a push our way from the table or from the party or from whatever it uh, may be. Um, and that's why we are on the struggle bus. The struggle bus is a real thing, y'all. So, you know, in a lot of rhetoric, you know, particularly like in conservative, progressive conversations, there's this, like, debate of, like, the reason why people are poor. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. People are poor. Poor. Now, there are some people that are poor because of their character and their habits. And one-third of Proverbs say that. Do you know what two-thirds of the Proverbs say? They say people are poor because of systemic. Even thousands of years ago, 
it says that people are poor because of systemic injustice. A poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice will all away. There was a community called Jackson Ward that was like the Wall Street of the South. It was like the Harvard of the South. And what they did was they 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 they, they built a highway. I'm not the Harvard, the um, Harlem of the South. And and they built a highway through it and took all the land and, and process of, of, of the little bit of money that black people could have. You couldn't buy houses but so many places, but the one place that you could buy a house, they built a highway through it. So every time that we... Uh, either drive down 95 or 150. It was an all-black, used to be formerly black neighborhood. That's what the scriptures told us. Check out this one. A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Don't rob the poor just because you can or exploit the need in court, for the Lord is their defender ruin anyone them. Lord have mercy. So in Virginia, Virginia holds one out of 200 Virginians in jail each year. 46% of the people in our jails aren't there because they were convicted of a crime. This is this is like a pre, they're in there because of pre-jail. And that's the difference, you know, it's important to understand in our culture. It's between jail and prison. Jail is like a holding space, and prison is like after you've been convicted, you're there to serve your time. So what happens in, in, in a pre-jail situation is, is that you um, end up going to jail while, like, they, you've been accused of a crime, and according to our Constitution, or, uh, just the way the laws are supposed to work, you're innocent until proven guilty. But what happens is, if you don't have enough money to engage bail, to get out, then you end up sitting in jail for until the trial. And sometimes it can be up to three years. So you're serving time for something that you haven't even got convicted of. And this is what pretrial crimes are. And then though black Virginians only make 20% of the state's population, they compromise 43% jail population. That only makes sense if you believe that black people do more crimes than other people. Now, some people do believe that. But statistically, that's ridiculous. Why? Because of the money bail system. And basically, the way our criminal justice is set up, well, first of all, if you're a person of color, if you're black or brown, um, you just got to know you ain't got no friends in the criminal justice. None whatsoever. So read them other proverbs about hanging out with fools and all that stuff because, because you just can't, you just can't, we just can't risk that. We just can't risk that as black and brown people and the facts. The other thing about this, particularly those of us who are, um, have um, either education, access, uh, money, or just really, it's just really important for us to understand that the biggest crime in America right now poor. Our criminal justice system is, is, is filled with people who are poor. It runs off of poor people. This is what Brian Stevenson said. We have a system of, ju- of justice in the United States that treats you much better if you are rich and guilty if you are poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, is outcome. There are so many things that I could say about this just even looking at some of the wealthy people who have done crazy crimes in our news cycle, and they get five, six months, but somebody with an addiction uh, 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 can get 20, 10, 20, 30 years. And this is what's funding a whole justice. Just, just to look a little bit more, 100% of our military helmets, ID tags, bulletproof vests, federal prison. I got two brothers on my phone right now who, uh, when I go down to New Orleans on a regular basis. They were wrongfully um, accused. They went, to, they went to prison for a crime that they didn't commit. 
um, two different crimes uh, that they didn't commit. But the first thing that they did was in Angola prison was go and pick cotton for for This is legal. It's legal through our 13th Amendment. So these brothers, and, and they can't access um, the money that they earn from working uh, uh, for, two, for four cents an hour uh, until they got $200 in their account. Do you realize how many years it takes for you to be able to get $200 in your account in order to, to be able to get four cents an hour? And these are businesses that take this, uh, their labor, um, and they make millions of dollars. And this is all legal according to the U.S. Constitution. Uh, states sign uh, agreements with private prisons to guarantee that they will fill a certain number of beds in jail at any given point. And the most common rate is 90. And then the last piece is that there are three of the largest for-profit prison corporations have spent more than uh, $45 million in donations lobby to keep politicians on the side of privatizing it. Now, it's really important to understand that this is as unethical as unethical could be, but the lobbying uh, um, allows it to be, quote, unquote, legal. So it's important to understand, since the very beginning of our country, our laws have not always been just laws. Now, the Bible tells us about this. I'm going to reread this again in light of what we just got finished. A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showing gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Don't rob the poor just because you can or exploit them in court, for the Lord is defending. Man, I mean, we, we, this God bless America slogan. If we doing stuff like that, God can't bless us. God cannot bless us. So all this brings us back to our text. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eye of both. So, so one thing is important for us to understand that God is not surprised by oppression. Oppression is a result of the fall. God is always at work in the midst of oppression and in the midst of the oppressed. And see, this is the, the promise that we can see. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in the, what, in the story of Israel and what God has been doing for centuries, then you just would just, just see these things and throw your hands up in the air and just be like, I'm just going to eat. Uh, be merry and, and do drugs or whatever and just kind of let my life go on. But if you got some faith, you can trust God to give you eyes to see. Eyes to see God at work. Because see, most of us in here, I, I can't, I don't know if anybody here is an active oppressor, but many of us are participants in oppression. Even if we just, like, drive on 95, we cannot help but not be participants in oppression. And so we got to ask God to be, hey, God, can you give us eyes to see how you're at work? Can you give eyes to see the other, to see the image of God, both in the oppressed and the oppressor? See, that was what made Dr. King's work so different because he just refused to hate his enemy because he knew that they were one moment from being encountered with See, we, gotta, we, we have to do the work of justice in a way where we know that people can encounter God at one moment, and then they can repent, and then they can make a significant transformation. And then the, the third thing we need to do is that we need to open our eyes to see the opportunity to be righteous. Not just do righteousness or do righteous acts, but to be righteous. Here's the Proverbs on responding to systemic injustice. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the and this is righteous care about justice for the poor.
but the wicked have no such Man, there are some Christians who spend so much time, more time watching and listening to certain conservative politics that has no and that's actually shaped them more to not to to to, to allow their view of scripture to uh, 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 read how they read the scriptures the lens they read like whatever station that is through the lens of the scriptures versus allowing the scriptures to read what's being known on their, their news source now guys I don't care what you watch but what I'm saying is we become what we do on a regular basis now you can watch NPR and they talk a little bit more about this stuff. And I'm telling you, uh, um, I spent a lot of time with white liberals. They aren't any more just and, and less racist than a white conservatives. I'm going to let you know that now. <laughs> I'm going to let you know that now. Facts. And so, <laughs> but, but this thing of, like, biblical justice is a lot more nuanced than any kind of news channel, radio station, or podcast could do. It requires a move in spirit of God. So the righteous care about justice for the poor and the wicked have no such concern. So you could be a Christian that, that, that claims to love Jesus but not care about the poor and still be considered wicked according to the Scripture. This is why we need to ask God to help us to see where God is at work, see others as fellow image bearers, and then see the opportunity Today is a really great day to do community because whenever you engage in the work of uh, 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 justice, any kind of true biblical work of justice will help you to realize that you aren't that just yourself, that you aren't that righteous yourself. If it wasn't for the grace of God, so, so, so would I. One of the things that Jesus uh, um, said to the Pharisees, particularly those of us who are like religious people. I mean, he, he went hard in the, on religious people. And this is one of the things he says. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, you will, you will certainly not enter the He said this to people that knew the scriptures more than and there's so many, I, I can't tell you how, how, how often I'm talking to people that want to lose faith because they talk about like evangelicalism. They, they, people that are following Jesus, or they think they're following Jesus, they say they're following Jesus, but then they don't want to follow Jesus anymore because of what evangelicals And I'm like, man, I can't, I can't let anybody mess my Jesus up. Like, my, like, like I, I, I just can't. I don't care who it is. But it says it right here. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, there's some people that are going to be more like Pharisees than somebody else. Then you don't get a chance. Later on in Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that word for righteousness also comes from justice. Seek first his kingdom justice. And all these given to you. The way that we do this is by remembering practice of on the night that Jesus was a right before he was about to be crucified and executed uh, um, as a criminal when he didn't commit any crime. He was executed. Y'all can um, go up. The Jesus was executed not as a religious sacrifice, but as a political leader. And he was crucified under Roman unjust legal system. And Jesus knew that. He was like, hey, you can't take my life. I'm going to give it up for the sake of others. And so the part of the reason why God wants us to say, often you get together to do this ritual because we have to be just as people that have to engage in a, a religion. The reason that, that Jesus had to do this from a spiritual reason 
is because of the crimes that we committed. And by doing this, it also gives us the strength and the power and the healing that we need to do the work of justice out there. So for the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you to do this in order to In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he This, the death of Jesus and the resurrection, is where you find hope in an unjust society. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak, sick, and a number of you are fallen. Man, isn't this such a, a, a description of what's happening in the body of Christ right now? That, 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 that it's not the fact that what makes you worthy to be able to, to, to eat this meal is the fact that you just haven't sinned or you haven't committed justice or you haven't been a, a, a bystander and a participant uh, in injustice. It's the fact that you just need to admit it and say, Lord, have mercy on me, and that's why I need to come to this table. There are so many people that are trying to find atonement by doing the work of justice. There's not enough justice work we could do to get the kind of atonement that we need. The only way we could do that is by doing this table. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would come not under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally condemned with the world. I am thankful for the judgment of God and the wisdom of God to make a way out. And so just the uh, um, servers can come on up and just take a moment just to examine yourself. To like not just do this as a ritual, an uninformed ritual, but take some moments just to kind of uh, uh, examine yourself and say, hey, Lord, where have I fallen short? Where areas where where I'm practicing uh, um, some of the ways and systems of the world that I am practicing your will? Where are ways that I've even inherited injustice systems and I participate in oppression and what are the ways that, you know, I'm not? Or, or, or if you're a person who's been on the wrong side of injustice, where are the areas that I need forgiveness? That you need to forgive others. Examine yourself. Engage uh, uh, as you come to the Lord's. the walls praying for people but also we we have the pillows here if you just want to
cry out to God. This was a this was a pretty serious word today. Amen. So don't be afraid to let God touch your heart in a deeper way. Amen.
you are able to keep us from falling. Thank you. 
I need you to pay attention. I need you to really pay attention. Um, hey, David, come in. Would you stretch your hands out? <clears throat> no. This, this is not play. This is this, this is not play. The devil is very. He is very very. Father God, we pray protection over this precious family. Courage it takes. Speak the word of God. Take risks. Say things that unequivocally make people uncomfortable. Say things that people will try to misinterpret and twist and turn, use to attack. Look over a message with a microscope just to find something. So give him the humility. He is not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is an ancient spirit that we are coming up against. And we refuse to bow. Thank you for David and Joy and the courage they have to not draw back, to not shrink back. Despite all of the attacks, they continue to lean in. And now, God, we look to you. Come on, everybody, just point up there. Say, we look to you. And then, and then if you got them inside of you, do this. Say, we look to you. The Christ in us, the Christ in us is greater than the oppressor. He's greater than the lies of the enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, look at somebody that doesn't look like you and say, I'm in. Are you in? Are you in? Are you in? Come on. Come on. Come on. It's, it's going, Jesus paid the price, but it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. So thank you all for being here today. Thank you so much for being with us and being together. But this, this man, we're going in. We're going deeper and deeper. Because the only hope for our nation and our world is Jesus Christ. The pure Jesus now. Huh? The pure Jesus. The pure Jesus. The pure Jesus. Not the one of our creation. The true one of the body. So thank you so much. I'm going to pull a switcheroo here. Come on, young people. Could y'all go back to that Holy Spirit pour out? Can we do that? I know y'all tired, but get over it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Start folding the chairs. You can start folding the chairs. Thank you so much. Holy Spirit.